Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hi, Alistair, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Well, congratulations on the film. Your your performance in specific really stood out the most to me. I also found it the most, uh, you know, horrifying out of everybody uh, in the film. Uh, first question for you is, did you, have you seen the film in full? Yes, yes, I have, yeah. Okay, so in the beginning of the film, your character, you know, kind of orders those, you know, the attacks on the clan, right? Yeah. And <laughs> I'm sure that, you know, you seem like a very lovely guy in person in reality, but in this scene, I mean, what did you have to like channel, you know, what headspace do you have to go to for a scene like that? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, visually it's shot, it's such an extraordinary shot. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of the implied horror really, um, as it, you know, it's, it's from a distance and so forth. But um, I think when you're building a character, you, you try and understand the human being um, first and foremost. Um, I think he's a man with huge amounts of responsibilities. He, his responsibility is to, is to his local community and he takes that very seriously. That does not in any way justify the actions and the decisions that he takes. Um, but that is a sort of a starting point. Um, and I also, because obviously in, in terms of the script, in terms of the, 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 the story, there's an understanding that what is what happens wasn't sort of agreed in many ways. And so I think he, he in a way shares the horror, but he's the one that took the decision and therefore bears the responsibility for that. And I think he takes that on board. And so it's, it's trying to marry up the sort of the, the decisions that he takes as a, as a character coupled with the, uh, the sort of the, the work that I do beforehand as, as the human being to try and understand the decisions that he takes and in no way to endorse them really. So um, I've always sort of thought that as an actor, you are your character's sort of legal representative. Um, so if I had to stand up in court and justify his decisions, I'd still get, you know, plenty of time in jail, but equally, um, you know, it, it's to understand the human being really is, is, is the most important thing. Uh, and then from that comes everything else. If that vaguely answers your question, Andrew, probably not. Well, and with that specific scene, could you talk a little bit about shooting that, you know, kind of particular scene where it is very, I think, you know, obviously when it's a film and you're making it, it's not quite as, you know, like a horror movie, it's not going to be as scary when you're filming it, but for the viewer, it's, you know, uh, it's, you know, a lot, I guess. And well, in, so all, in all honesty, it was, it was, it was really early on in the making of the movie. And in fact, um, the, uh, it was, I think it could have even been my first day actually on, on the movie. I just arrived from, from Los Angeles. Um, I had an appalling backache um, and my first day was to be riding on a horse with a group of 12 mercenaries. I can ride, um, so I wasn't too worried about that, but my back was so bad. I thought this is going to be an, and I, I, I didn't want to say anything to anybody. Um, and this is, this is just sort of background color more than anything else. But, um, uh, but I got on the horse and we did it. And amazingly, my back was fixed. So maybe I was just worried and tense about doing the film. But what was so amazing about shooting it was that, um, that, that, I, I was, what I saw from the, my perspective on top of the hill, looking down at what happened, um, was effectively the camera, was, was my point of view, therefore the camera's point of view. So I witnessed it from a distance. Um, and then, you know, I didn't see the rehearsal of any of that. I didn't see, uh, I hadn't met any of the, um, the actors and the supporting artists that were performing. It had all been rehearsed with stunt teams and all the rest of it. I literally came to it fresh, which was startling. All I had was the script, so I knew, okay, there's what's going to happen. But then to witness what happened was, uh, 
was pretty extraordinary. Um, even the horse was spooked. And I think there's probably, I think, a couple of beats in the scene where the horse is moving around. And of course, then the act kicks in. You're just going, oh, God, don't ruin the shot. Um, but it was uh, it was startling to see, really startling. Um, I mean, beautifully executed, of course, as a, as a uh, from a filmmaker's perspective. But it was um, it was unpleasant and startling to see. And so because of the unsettling nature of the film, it's sometimes hard when you're watching to remember that it's just a movie, right? That there was production behind this. So how did you find levity on, you know, on during the making of this film? That's such a good question. Um, there's always levity. I think sometimes in the most serious of, of, uh, of work endeavors, uh, off screen, off camera, um, there's sort of almost more hilarity as a, as a tension breaker or as a release. But Kelly Boyd and I and Roxanne and other cast members, we all got on extremely well. And we were, you know, we were we were a tight bunch. We were shooting in a, in a, in a, in a tiny region in France. Um, it was it was pretty remote. We're all basically staying in the same place. Um, Sean lived nearby. So um, Ellis, writer and director. Um, and, uh, you know, our producers were, were a complete delight. So in a way, it's, it's like a sort of traveling circus. Everyone arrives in this tiny town and we sort of slightly take it over. Um, but uh, we, we, Boyd, Kelly and I, we did a lot of laughing. And of course, what happens when you're filmmaking, you met, we met in Paris in pre-production. We hadn't met each other before. We all knew each other's work. And, you know, there's a fast intimacy. You become fast friends and you sort of rely on each other. So we had, uh, but there was always fun to be had. There's, there's obviously the moments, you know, we're playing some quite tense scenes. And so you had to respect the, you know, the processes around that. Um, but it doesn't take much to be able to sort of to to achieve that, and then the levity afterwards. Um, yeah, there's there's yeah, we we had a we had we had a good time making it, and uh, yeah, we became great pals, which is lovely. And how long was this shoot for this film? Um, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Um, maybe eight, ten, twelve weeks, something like that. Um, we were shooting on film as well, which is incredibly detailed. So obviously, lighting changes are extraordinarily extraordinarily specific. Um, you know, digital is a bit more forgiving. So, um, but the fact that we were entirely on location added to all of the the atmosphere um, uh, of the story we were trying to tell as well. So that was uh, really exciting as well. That was a really exciting part of part of the process to be entirely on location. And so now you've kind of done movies on both ends of the spectrum. This is a you yeah. know smaller film, and you've also done a film like Rogue One, which is. Could you compare? You know, I know it's such different kinds of films. But could you compare a little bit of like the production? Because of course, one is a huge tentpole movie, and this is a small film. Yeah, the endeavor is fundamentally the same um, in in many ways. Um, you know, massive budget films can be. Um, uh, and not a particularly intimate working experience by design and by necessity there's vast amounts of people like but i mean funny enough on rogue one actually there was an extraordinary intimacy but that um which was but that's usually led by the filmmaker um and so gareth edwards who directed that movie in the same way that sean ellis it comes from it comes from the top and so if they engender a kind of a working intimacy um then then it's fundamentally the same process just with a few more people running around um but it comes down to the the same thing really that that if you are a filmmaker and you care about the story that you're telling and all of the components that go towards telling that story it is basically it's it's the same endeavor and so um on a film like Ape Silver, and we had on the curse now called the curse was Ape Silver. um you know we had a we had a pretty healthy budget um but uh yeah we just just with maybe a hundred less people um, running around, really. But um, 
it's fundamentally the same thing. And as an actor, you approach it in exactly the same way. You have to. Um, and if you get overawed by the scale of working on, on vast budget films, then you know you, you lose certain things. So you start with the same thing. Who am I? What am I trying to do? And what are the relationships I have? And what is the story we are all trying to tell? And if the leaders within that um, buy into that notion as well, rather than just the box office bottom line, then you're onto a winner. And thankfully, both, as you said, the Star Wars version and and uh, and making um, making uh, the cursed, it's the same endeavor. You care about telling the story you want to tell. And really quickly, could you talk about like I've never seen Sex Education, but I know that you're you know on the on that show. I, I hear about it a lot, but like, what is it about, and what what is your character? Maybe somebody a little bit more <laughs> likable. Okay, first, Andrew, you have to watch it. This is hugely important. It will change your life, and I'm not okay. even joking, um, because it speaks to all of us. Um, I play the headmaster of a school, uh, and um, and it's about growing up, but that's not just young people growing up. It's about everybody. Um, it's about all of us trying to figure out, um, uh, just to figure out who we are. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful story of identity. It's incredibly amusing, and I genuinely, genuinely would say to you, it's... Um, uh, you should watch it because it will uh, it will speak to it speaks to all of us whether you are you know a 14 year old trying to figure out who you are because ultimately we're all trying to figure out who we are i think the older you get you just get a little better at hiding it so um andrew watch it there you go all right will do well i'm out of time there i gotta let you go but thank you so much for your time and i can't wait to see what you do next that's very kind andrew thank you for your time all right thank you guys so today I have a very special uh, review from the Shine Like Stars podcast, uh, Uncharted with Matthew Shuckman. Matt, I saw you on at the screening on Monday. How, yeah. how you know, what are your overall thoughts? How was how was Tom Holland's first uh, <laughs> non MCU movie in a while? Well, I'll tell you, like I've I've seen Tom Holland before. I mean, this is I mean a lot of people have seen him before Spider Man, but like I remember seeing him in things before Spider Man came out where I felt he was much more mature than he kind of even came off here. I know this is supposed to be still young Nathan Drake. Yeah. Um, and I, I was a little worried at first because I thought the very first thing he said while they when they jump right into the yes. action felt more like a Spidey quip than a Nathan Drake quip. And again, I've I've only played very I've only played like one and a half of the games, but you know, like I I understand it's it's a little he's while he's still quippy, he's a different type of sense of humor. Um, so I was a little worried at first, and I think that balance wise, when he was on, he was on, but when he was off. It wasn't bad, but it felt like he again couldn't find that that real sweet spot for it. Can I ask you if that that quip you're talking about? Because I coming into the movie, I said is it, he's just gonna do the Peter Parker like because Nathan Drake, to my understanding, is like Indiana Jones and Han Solo, kind of like a smart ass kind of guy. But Tom yeah. Holland is always like the oh my god, I'm gonna help you, you know. And are you talking about at the beginning when he goes oh my god, that was reactionary <laughs> when he dodges yeah, well, a crate? When the guy gets hit by the things, oh I'm yeah. sorry, you know. Yeah, whatever. yeah. Like, <laughs> That was too. That was too spidey, and, yes. it, and, and yeah. I don't think it should have been there. Yes, um, I agree with you, and I think overall the same thing. Like where you know, I think it was a fine, you know, kind of. I don't know if I would really call it a video game movie. I know it's based on video games, but to me, this felt so much more like it takes inspiration from the games, and not like it's a straight adaptation. Like you, I've played bits of the fourth and a little bit of the first, and I recognize some story beats, but not like I don't know if this is a full fledged like adaptation of any story yeah i mean if you wanted it to be not even just story wise but if you wanted it to be like a full adaptation considering gameplay and all of this stuff you know we would have sat watching them duck and cover you know for two <laughs> hours while they shoot each other and then do a right. little bit of climbing right. uh which exists in the movie there there is duck and cover and there's climbing yeah. uh but there's only so much you can do but just like you were saying you know like i know a lot of people try to 
uh, you know, equate this to Indiana Jones, but this is much more of a national treasure movie mm-hmm. than it is an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. And so I think that to me, it felt like most like, uh, I know this is supposed to be like a commercially friendly, like movie, right? This is supposed to be like a fun, because you have Tom Holland in there. And I think Mark Wahlberg was supposed to play Nathan Drake 10 years ago. Didn't know that until afterwards, which makes, to me, it makes a lot of sense because he almost felt more like uh, Nathan Drake. But we'll start off with Holland instead of Wahlberg. And you kind of mentioned it, right? He's a little bit kind of the Peter Parker-ish, like he's still yes. growing up, right? And I think that that works in his favor in some ways, but at times it's hard to take him seriously, to, at least to me. Well, I know fans, you know, were much more, you know, along the line of wanting Nathan Fillion to play the oh, role. Right. Um, and or even Nolan North, who I don't I won't say anything. I'll leave it at that. Nolan North, who does voice Nathan in the video games to even maybe play the role because Nathan in the games is, you know, kind of older than than Tom Holland may even come off as, even if he's the same age kind of thing. Um, but you know, yeah, this is this is meant to be more of a not an origin story, but it is an origin story in more ways than than some. Uh, and you know, it's again, it's not like a bad job, and it's just nothing, nothing to write home about. It's very cards to your cut to your brother about. <laughs> right. And it's very conventional, right? Like it was kind of like the basic origin story where. But I did feel that by the end, I don't know if you felt this way, but do you remember that Snake Eyes movie that came out last year? Of course, yeah, yeah. So like how at the end he finally got the 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 mask and the suit and everything, like. I was afraid that's what this was going to be. And it kind of did feel like in the post credit scene, that felt more like Nathan Drake by the end. I mean, it still was Tom Holland, but he felt more confident. They did do, I mean, not to, I guess, like minor spoilers, I guess, if you want, but, yeah. you know, they definitely did do that because not not until like, you know, 20 minutes left in the film, 10 minutes left in the film, he puts the gun holsters on. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, yes. I did notice that because when he put them on, I was like, oh, wait, he has been missing those the entirety of the movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything that stands out about Holland's performance. I don't think this was I think he was enjoyable, though. Like, I think I've been so hard on him because I think his shit grows old. And but this is a character that it's like, OK, kind of he's playing like a young James. It feels like a young James Bond or a young uh, uh, Nathan Drake it, or like it's supposed to be. He's still growing, right? It's still his adolescence version of him, I guess. How old is he supposed to be? I don't even know because he drinks. That's, yeah, it's, it's a little confused. They don't really they don't really. Obviously, he's old enough to drink because he's a bartender. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just it's one of those things like Tom Holland back when he was a little kid, back when he was doing the impossible. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I was I was I always think about him in the pilgrimage mm. where, again, he was before he got to see him as Spider-Man when he was still young really mature really really well done um so he's capable of it you know i just think so many people just so used to him as spider-man that's all they see yeah well he's done what six or seven movies now where he's appeared as spider-man so that probably doesn't help um but now we'll we'll go go to mark Wahlberg a little bit who i remember seeing the set photo of him with the mustache uh which i won't give away when or when that comes where or when that comes in but mark Wahlberg, to me i did mention he i think he was supposed to he's he's been attached to this for years like almost a decade i think but to me, uh, I liked, I remember Sully from the games. This was not the Sully I remember. This was Mark Wahlberg being Mark Wahlberg as a <laughs> the father figure mentor. Like it was the most, even more than Holland, this felt like this is just Mark Wahlberg being himself. Yeah, I mean, that's again, the same thing with being, you know, the idea that this is Nathan Drake, probably younger than he is in the games because Sully is an older man. Yeah, yeah. Even in the games. I mean, I, I think the games do get into a, a more of an origin thing for him and they'll show him maybe younger. Okay. I'm not positive on that. Don't quote me on it. But um, yeah, it's just Mark Wahlberg and, you know, fans may have a problem with that. I don't think it's the worst performance I've ever seen in the world. I don't think it's a good performance. (laughs) You know, it's just like he's there. A lot of this movie, performances, style, action, it's just there. 
it's just it's just there for you and it's not a bad thing but it's not a good thing yeah and i I mean (laughs) it's funny that you say that because i do think he did have like the funniest lines in the movie but also some like the you know just like forgettable you know he's he's equally forgettable as he is funny in the movie like i did find some of the stuff he does um but i i did want to talk touch on the action i guess yeah, I guess before supporting cast, we'll just go with that. Sure. I did think that the action was surprisingly, I don't want to say mature, because it still was a PG-13 family-friendly kind of adventure. But I wasn't expecting as much. Like, I like the hand-to-hand combat. You know, there's a lot with alcohol bottles. I feel like somebody got hit over the head numerous times with a bottle. I could be wrong sure. in that. Um, besides the last set piece, and I guess the opening, the plain one that we see twice, um, I did like the hand-to-hand stuff. I thought that was interesting. And the chase sequences, right? There's one with Sophia Ali and Tom Holland. How did you feel about the action, though? I felt it. I felt it was pretty lackluster personally. Okay. I felt that even with the hand-to-hand stuff, that it, it was it was too it was too it was, it was going back to that style of being too shaky yeah. or too tight and not wide enough. So when you're doing you know, these what may be complex maneuvers or are supposed to seem like complex maneuvers, they just felt like a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, where they're set, you know that 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 end set piece which is basically you know fast and furious indiana jones version um you know which again was filled with just like i'm not gonna care this is a movie i'm not gonna care about these plot holes as far as things like you know how does nobody stumble upon half this stuff they stumble upon when half of it has already been modernized and they actually realize that you know like oh we just could have we just could have went to this basement instead of going through these weird tunnels it's like so silly but it's the same thing with the action where it just feels like it it had to be there, so they put it in there, but they didn't really flush it out as, as well as they should have. I did feel like the final, and I don't know if in the games the action's this big, because from what I remember, there's a lot of chase sequences and a lot of, you know, fighting, gunshots, gunfire. But I don't remember, like, that last set piece is so hollow. That was the only thing I noticed where I was like, there's just a lack of people. Like, it was weird. <laughs> it was like, there. I mean, there's the two planes going against each other, right? But, like, and a few people, henchmen jump on, but it didn't feel like there's a lot happening. It's not only that, but... You know, I understand that we, we're not given all the information, but technically this is all happening, you know, maybe like a mile or two from like a resort. Yeah. And like, you know, like how there wasn't more like interaction with, you know, like local police and all this other stuff, like just chiming in on it. It just felt so weird again, which is also, I, I know I apologize for kind of veering away from the action idea of it a little bit, but like talking about just that end set piece and talking about where these things they were looking for are hidden. Again, it's close to a resort where there's obviously, you know, all these like adventurers and spelunkers and all this other stuff. And it's like this perfect sculpted little open cave that nobody's gone into in their entire life. It's like right there. Well, okay. Is that as bad as when, uh, okay. So Tati Gabriel's character, who's the main antagonist, would you say that's fair to say, or at least an antagonist? I, I, yes and no. I mean, yes, but in the same breath, uh, it's not led up to be that way until a certain point, I would say. Okay, so I mean, okay, so without going to spoilers, there's a point where at the end, Nathan is going towards that cave. And what drove me insane is that he happens to be on his boat and she, her and her entire crew are looking out into the water and they're like, you know, oh, looking yeah. through. And I was like, just there's randomly, no just shot. randomly like, what is, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, weren't they already there looking for it themselves? How, how in the hell did they just happen? And it's not like they happen to turn around and see and hear a boat and see him. They're just already looking out that way, I think, from well, what yeah, I remember. I mean, they're, but they're, they're looking by coordinates they don't know about. Like Tom, right at that point well tom nathan at that point is the only one who knows these specific coordinates but it's very silly and a very big almost like uh 
Deus, Deus Machina, like, or Hand of God, I should say, yeah, yeah. Um, just like happen to be looking in the direction of, of him and going, you know, like, what? <laughs> that was really, that was really silly. I mean, look, it's silly that, it's silly that the country of Spain <laughs> would build a Papa John's yeah. And yes, granted, preserve this very important thing around it. But why would you allow the Papa John's to be built there? <laughs> no, I know, I know what you're talking about. That was that was the weirdest. And a bar, and a bar, and a bar. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, and I think that was maybe the weirdest product placement that we had in the movie. Because before they actually have a fight sequence in there, I noticed all these boxes of Papa John's leaned upward just in the shot, and then they actually have a fight in the Papa John's. Um, but yes, that was a little bit silly. And I, we mentioned Tati, Tati Gabriel. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, or Gabrielle, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, some of the other supporting cast, like I, I personally didn't mind Sophia Ali. I mean, granted, I think she's I, great. I, I thought she was fine. I, I enjoyed her. Yeah. Uh, I did think sometimes her accent sounded English. And it's just maybe it's just, I'm not like well-versed in Australian. I'm not going to be like, you know, but I'm not That's a dialect. I just, yeah, I always thought it sounded more. I, I'm not thinking, now I can't even think about it, but it sounded British to me. And I just suspected that's what, I apologize. Hiccup, everybody. <laughs> I suspected that's what it was supposed to be, but I wasn't really thinking about it. No, she, yeah, she, she's supposed to be Australian because I interviewed her months ago and, and she had mentioned that she had to learn an Australian accent. Oh. And so when I saw the first trailer, I was like, well, that sounds, you know, it's only snippets, but like that sounds a little bit British. I think she was fine for most of it. I didn't, it didn't bother me, but I did kind of sometimes think, well, that sounds more British. Again, I'm not a dialect coach, nor do I know well yeah. enough what is a good British accent versus a good, good Australian. Um, and then there's also Antonio Banderas, who I personally, I forgot he was in Indiana Jones 5, so maybe he's just holding out on us, but he definitely didn't um, feel like he was in this a lot, right? Like, I felt like he... I, this is what I say about him in this movie, and I, because I actually enjoyed him in the movie. I don't think he was great or anything like that, but where in the hitman's wife's cousin's uncle's <laughs> junior right right i forgot for his birthday present uh he was also a bad guy i didn't like it he was he was miles better in this than that and i and i maybe some of it was the timber's voice the way he came off it just it just worked a lot better here and i kind of appreciated it a lot more so i was i was happy to see him here in this even though again it's not going leaps and bounds out of the yeah. box compared to some some other people yeah, I mean, he just played the stereotypical like antagonist to an Indiana Jones character with yeah. daddy issues and, and all that. And I, I, did, issues. Yeah. I did think he was fun, though. I just felt weird that I just felt like he was not in it a lot. You know, he's at the auction or like the, the gallery thing and then disappears for a while, I think. And then they, sh they cut back to him a little bit here and there. Um, and then, you know, we won't go into why what happens to his character. But did anybody else in the supporting cast really stand out to you? Or was that Sophia Elliott? <laughs> I mean that's really all there except except for the the one you know Scottish bodyguard. Uh, oh yes, yeah. I think that's really all there there is as far as real supporting cast goes. Again, that's again that's another thing. It's just such a strange look. I mean, I'm not, I don't mean to go back to it again, but like talking about when they're trying to find where to use these keys, and Mark Wahlberg is literally looking down a drain at them. <sighs> which is outside the Papa John's they just had their big fight in. Uh, or was it right before? I can't remember. But there's all this stuff, and it just seems like all of a sudden, just because they didn't want to have any interaction, the rest of the world cleared out. And nobody else showed up yeah. to be in the same place at the same time. Yeah. And it's very strange. And it's, it's, it's basically building this false world just so you can 
get along with your movie and not have to worry about anything. I don't know. Maybe it's the pandemic. It did take place in current day. <laughs> I don't know. But that's- well, yeah, it's also it's also weird because you think about when the games came out and I'm not trying to say you have to put it in the same years, but there were I can't remember the reference, but there's a very specific reference to an actor or a movie, something at the very end of the movie that that places it in 2021 or 2022. Uh, yeah, I feel like I know. I think I heard it when you're, yeah, in the movie. I don't I remember think, what I remember. it was, but yeah, there's something. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, I guess we'll just go into the overall thoughts. I mean, are you hoping, are, will you watch a sequel? Because I think the post credit scene makes it seem like they're definitely, they're trying to get that, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll watch it. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't not enjoy myself in the sense that I thought this was, all, I didn't think Uncharted was an awful piece of garbage that was a waste of time. But in the same breath, I found nothing exhilarating about it. I found nothing new about it. It was just, again, it was just there. Mm. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing, but I'm not gonna run out the door to see it again or necessarily see the sequel. Will I see the sequel when it comes out? Sure. Will I care? Probably not. Okay, and so this is my only other way I can rate. Besides, we'll, we'll ask you for a grade, but also is it better or worse than Indiana Jones 4? Oof. Oh, I don't know, man. Probably better. <laughs> yeah. Probably better. There's a lot. There's there's a lot with Indiana Jones for the people don't talk about. It's just really bad. Yeah. Um. It's probably better, but not like by not by any leap and bound or stretch of the imagination. Okay, that's fair. And so, if you had to give it a letter grade, I probably should have asked you to do this. You know, get it prepped earlier. But what would you give it? I gave it a C. Okay. All right. I think that's fair. I'd probably give it some, like, I think a C plus B minus is kind of where it was. I, I enjoyed myself, I think, you know, like, kind of like you were saying, but yeah, it's not memorable. It's not different, really. You know, it's not like, I didn't see the Tomb Raider movie from four years ago, but, you know, I imagine maybe that was even, I don't know, was that any better? <laughs> probably should ask you that. Uh, yeah, I hardly even remember it, to be honest with you. Uh, it was, that was a waste of time, too. Okay, but again, so... not, not awful, but who cares? Yeah, I guess action adventure movies are kind of having a, a, a rough patch. It might, it looks better than The Lost City, though, which I keep getting reminders of that that's also coming out in another adventure movie uh, with Sandra Bullock and the... Uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I may be seeing that at South by Southwest. I'm not sure yet. That's at South by Southwest? Yep. Okay. Well, <laughs> have fun with that. Uh, Matt, you want to plug your podcast really quick? Uh, yeah, you know, make sure everybody go check out Overdue Rentals on all your favorite podcast uh sites or wherever you listen to your podcast wherever you reach out to them it's myself and mike reyes and we talk about films that people just have not talked about it as much as they used to they could have been big award winners they could have had little indies just everybody's leaves them in the, in the dust okay well you need more al pacino movies on there uh, <laughs> um but it was great seeing you on monday at the screening uh and thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me